Every year at ETA, maybe a dozen of the kids between maybe like 12 and 15, children in the very earliest stages of puberty and really abstract capable thought, when one's allergy to the confining realities of the present is just starting to emerge as a weird kind of nostalgia for stuff you never knew. Maybe a dozen of these kids, mostly male, get fantastically devoted to a homemade academy game called Eschaton. Eschaton is the most complicated children's game anybody around ETA ever heard of. No one's entirely sure who brought it to Enfield and from where, but you can pretty easily date its conception from the mechanics of the game itself. Its basic structure had already pretty much coalesced when Alston's Michael Pemulus hit age 12 and helped to make it way more compelling. Its elegant complexity combined with a dismissive reenactment vision and complete dissociation from the realities of the present composes most of its puerile appeal. Plus, it's almost addictively compelling and shocks the tall. Hello and welcome, I'm Douglas Bowles and this is 42 Minutes, a weekly conversation with the interesting artists and thinkers of our day, a production of SyncBook Radio and distributed by thesyncbook.com. You can find our archives at 42minutes.com and you can reach us by sending a message to mail at 42minutes.com. You can also follow our tweets at Sync42 and at SyncBook. It's Monday, March 12, 2018, and today for 42 minutes we're going to dive deeper into the schedule, the tree fort schedule and consider some of these tough choices we're going to have to make next week by chatting up a local, John O'Neill, a face you know from your favorite local record store and from days gone by playing at the Crazy Horse. El Dopamine is a band that goes in and out of focus, writing and recording music that is personal, heartfelt, and occasionally misguided. They strive to present themselves to all who would listen with an open heart. It's four men's lives, interests, and long-standing friendship. It's the same folk chords you hear in country music filtered through a garage band ethos and punk rock disdain for authority. El Dopamine plays Tree Fort Friday, March 23rd, 5.30 p.m. at the Neuralux, and that one is a pretty good build that night with the tree people headlining. How are you doing tonight, John? I'm good. I'm uh, ready for uh, Tree Fort, pretty much. So, uh, when does the 42 minutes start? Does it start with uh, me talking, or does it start with you talking, or does it start with the beginning of the uh, thing that you read first? <laughs> or did you take, or did you do that like off the top of your head? <laughs> no. Uh, well, it, we used. I used to be very precise, and I had it. You know, a clock uh-huh. was ticking, and the second we we I started talking, that's when it started. And now. All right. All right. I'm just kind of... I don't have a timer going on my end, so, uh, you know, stop me if I go too long. Okay. Oh, but yeah. Uh, well, like us, uh, uh, this podcast uh, appears to take its own time, so, um, you know, that's that's where it's at. So, yeah, I'm looking forward to playing. I uh, was uh, glad to be on this bill. Um and it's and we're playing at the ideal time for El Dopamine, uh, since uh, our audience uh, is basically day drinkers anyway. And uh, you know, it's like uh, playing at five thirty is an ideal time. You're will be done at like six ten, uh, loaded back into the into the uh, van. And uh, I I think actually, oddly enough, our drummer is going to hang around. As a matter of fact. Uh, 
I think all of the band is going to hang around. The only uh, people that have other gigs are that night are Michael, our bass player, who uh, also plays in AKA Bell the next night and the Hill Folk Noir and the Hokum High Flyers as well. Wow, yeah. So, um, well, he's earning his so, ticket. His, he's earning his yeah. wristband this year. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, he's a bargain. Last year, Eric uh, scheduled all four of his uh, groups in a four-hour time frame. Uh, first, he did uh, he did Hill Folk over at the Basque Center, and then we played at um, at uh, um, Pengilly's. Then he ran back to uh, do the uh, Hokum High Flyers. And he said that he was uh, completely uh, flagging by the hokum set. But, um, you know, there's uh, places to rest in a, a hokum high flyer set because they have to, like, give uh, square dancing instructions and stuff so you have a chance to lay out. We just pr- pretty much hit the stage and play our 40 minutes and get off, you know, do our thing. So, you know, tree fort is such an important thing to us or to me to do it. I really uh, am proud to be included in it because I believe so much in uh, their abilities to curate that thing. And I, I don't know. I, I have, I have uh, had several pictures of Kool-Aid as far as that uh, this festival is concerned, and I'm happy to be a part of it. Yeah, well, I, I have too, for sure. And so I think we were similar ages in the 90s and and the idea of this kind of thing in Boise would have just exploded my mind back then seriously seriously that is uh that is so true i uh the current situation that we have now with the duck club and all of the places i mean oftentimes there are several things that are worth seeing in Boise on a Tuesday night. And, uh, you know, back then you would have thought that, uh, you know, the, uh, that's what you, that's what people moved to the big city about moved over to Portland and stuff like that. Cause they could see plenty of shows. Uh, but now people are moving here and that is something that's like, uh, you know, justifies our faith in the place. But, you know, I came here uh, in 1989, October 20th, 1989. I'd gotten married to a girl that uh, grew up in Boise. I had an entirely uh, separate uh, previous life in bands in Eugene, Oregon, uh, playing in basements and stuff like that, where I cut my teeth doing it. And uh, when I came to Boise with a child uh, on the way, my prime directives from uh, my wife uh, was that, uh, A, I uh, was going to get a real job with insurance. B, I was not going to work in a record store. <laughs> and C, I wasn't, I wasn't going to play in bands anymore. So by... Um, by September of 1990, I'd played a show. Uh, January 12th, 1990, I got a job at the Record Exchange. 
And uh, in, what was the third thing? I'd get a real job. Yeah, or um, insurance record, too. Record, record exchange had insurance. It was a fairly well-run business. So I sort of slid into that thing. In 91, uh, L-Dopamine formed um, because Jeff Faulkner of the, uh, of the uh, Flea Stacks had just moved back to town and had seen me play like opening for John Doe. Uh, by myself, and uh, we got together and played some songs, and I recruited the old drummer from the Dirt Fisherman, Gavin, and uh, Jim Woody, who uh, had played in the Tree People, and uh, for the first rehearsal, uh, which was in the garage of the place I lived on the bench, I've always lived on the bench, I've never been like a uh, North End elitist or anything like that, <laughs> and uh, and uh, um, Woody had to work, didn't show up for practice, and Faulkner never showed up. So um, I fired Jeff Faulkner. Uh, Gavin and I just played, and it sort of clicked. And uh, we just went on from there. Uh, we knew, you know, I uh, had connections through, like, working at the Record Hut. So uh, I managed to get us on to shows, you know, it's just... Um, who who was the booker at at the Neurolux in the mid nineties? It was Alan Ireland. So Alan was he, he was, was also yeah. Alan was the booker at Crazy Horse and uh, and uh, the uh, Neurolux. So uh, you know you would uh, play Crazy Horse on a Friday night and Neurolux on a Saturday night. You know, like once or twice a month, and uh, you know we were just sort of like filled space in the bar uh, while it was going. I mean, we play, our first show at Neurolux, it was, there wasn't even a stage there, much less a crown. And uh, we, you know, played on the floor in front of people. Um, we played so many shows in Neurolux that I can't, I cannot remember all of them. So uh, Woody had a job and he uh, quit. Uh, I mean, became more and more, you know, <laughs> more and more into, uh, having his job and was hard to like uh, get to go to shows. And uh, we were at this time sharing a space over at the club 911, which was next to the old Emerald club near where the jump is now. Uh-huh. And so, and I heard Mike Waite playing with humor God and uh, I just, you know, coerced him into joining us. And, uh, and uh, we went and did it. And, he was uh, he was great. He's always been great. He's been a you know. There's a reason why he plays in like four bands. He's easy to be in a band with. There was there was a series of concerts that were like outdoor movie concerts in the back of like the Boise State University sub. Did you guys play one of those? Yeah. Yes, we did. I think it was us and Splinter or us and Gravel Truck. I can't remember which. Yeah, or maybe it was just us. I don't remember. I just remember being on that like crazy tiny loading dock. And yeah, stuff and... <laughs> it makes but, sense, you know, but it doesn't. That... It's like, yeah, it's a stage, right? <laughs> yeah, it's uh, yeah. It was you found yourself in situations like that back then. It's just you were <laughs> you took opportunities that you had to play music. 
and did them. I mean, uh, after the two and one album came out, we'd like found ourselves at Bruce Willis's club up in, uh, uh, up in Ketchum. It was the one he had up in Ketchum. It was kind of like had a rail car up on the main street. And then there was a larger club underneath it, uh-huh. world-class sound system, all that kind of stuff. And we were contracted for three sets. Place was packed uh, for the first set. And uh, some guy, I mean, they wanted to hear Clapton. By the end of the first set, I mean, they had cleared out. We just weren't doing the thing for them. And by the end of the second set, the manager said, ah, we're just going to pay you guys. You don't have to pay the third set. (laughs) (laughs) You know, it's a, it was a it was a ridiculous thing. We got paid an an exorbitant amount of money for a band of our stature, and uh, they also like put us up in a hotel room and stuff, and uh, to uh, and to like uh, complicating all of this is like you know I was really sick. I had some sort of like stomach virus and stuff, and. And uh, before we came up, I got a shot of like uh, some sort of anti-nausea drunk that uh, just like killed me. And and, uh, we were like driving up there in the van and and, uh, the guys were playing like Uncle Tupelo in it. I just remember hearing Gun over and over again. I woke up to that. Um, But... Uh, God, you just found yourself in the craziest things, you know, like uh, back then is just like opportunities to play for bands that uh, weren't draws. You would just like take, you know, you know, opening up for a movie over at the college was just like par for the course. The first place I saw the tree people and the dirt fishermen was on the lawn over behind the sub where those bands were playing before, uh, Erga Music War out on the lawn. It was, you know, and, uh, you know, I saw, I saw the tree people and I thought, you know, maybe moving to this town will not be the worst thing that ever happened to me if this band can exist here. And of course, like a month later, they moved to Seattle and, uh, you know, I moved back, but, uh, you know, um, it's, yeah, it's Boise was like a, uh, different place but honestly back when i was in bands in eugene we did similar stuff you know like playing out in the patios of uh of um bookstores or (laughs) first we played this battle of the bands once over at the college and you know how battle of the bands work right you get all your friends to show up and like make a bunch of noise and you win well we didn't bother to like have any friends show up except uh you know for my friend mike who showed up and made fun of what i was wearing and uh and uh we you know you just you just stack it up you just like uh use the opportunity it's like practice in front of people yeah and uh it toughens you up yeah it toughens you up a lot Every now and again, you'd play a show uh, like that in the Neuralex where there's four people out there. And you, mm-hmm. Yeah, and you just... Uh... Well, I would, I would like to say that, uh, you know, L-Dopamine sets uh, were a real impetus for a increase in business at 10th Street Station. 
because uh, you know people would stream out for our set, go up to 10th Street Station, have some drinks, and then come back for built to spill or something. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, what about touring? Did you guys ever get out of town? I mean, you did the one in, in Ketchum, you said, but like, uh, did you ever put together a series? We went, no, we played uh, we played Eugene, we played Portland, and we played Seattle a couple of times. And it was so it was difficult for me to like uh, um, make that happen. For one reason is that I'm not very organized. And for the other is, you know, I was raising a family. Yeah. And uh, it was um, not an excuse. I mean, we could have done all these things if I'd have just, like, you know, included my wife in the planning of it and telling her instead of, like, saying, oh, yeah, we're going to, uh, we're going to Seattle this weekend. See ya. It's just, that's just total BS. I mean, that's, you know, you know I always say that uh, if I had involved uh, if I'd involved Robin more in it you know we'd probably probably be broken up by now but uh, at least have a couple of albums under our belt what what about I mean so one of the I mean if you're a long-lived band locally you know with uh, a good reputation with the the booker then you end up opening for some interesting acts as they come through what what kind of like what what were your biggest shows as a band biggest yeah oh my god we had opening slots for like you know various people we hope i think we opened for sublime <laughs> two or three times once at the crazy horse really uh, once at um yeah uh, once at uh Neurolux. And uh, it may have been twice at the Crazy Horse. The first two times, um, there was no one there. I mean, there was like 25 people. And then the next time, there were 50 people. And I think there were 75 people at Neuralux. And then they did that snowcore tour, the snowboarding tour and stuff like that. And boom, they were, they were huge. But, um, you know, ah, oh, God. So we... We played with like bands like Jonathan Fire Eater, who were on uh, uh, Geffen, uh, the Dandy Warhols, um, Stomp Box, who were on Columbia. And you know, it's just like during the grunge era. I mean, Alan was very generous, like putting us on those bills and stuff. And you know, I you know, I hardly remember anything about them, to be honest. It was just such a, uh, you know. I was all like disorganized and all about forward motion. And I was, uh, you know, just, you know, and I would, I, geez, I would kind of get out of my, uh, you know, the music that we play is uh, really like emotional. And I like uh, to focus and bring myself to it. I kind of get out of body. I mean, I don't remember a lot about specific shows. I know guys that like have like a photographic memory of every show that they've ever played and what, you know, what the door was and, you know, <laughs> what everything meant. <laughs> and uh, I, I, you know, I was just on to my next. You know, many the time I would, this is like, um, 
now in the beginning of l dopamine like it may have been 1990 i uh got a job at flying pie pizzeria so um in uh so my week was like uh we uh i worked at the record exchange um you know like tuesday through saturday i uh worked at flying pie thursday friday saturday i uh, cleaned my father-in-law's shop on sundays um you know took the kids you know took uh, my son marshall to the grocery store really late at night because he was like you know complete insomniac like me and uh, just did that until uh you know for many years <laughs> many many years actually and um you know my wife was going to uh, school to become a registered nurse i was um you know i just i don't know where i had the energy for all that stuff honestly it just exhausts me to think about doing that but guys do it all the time i you know um you know, I won. I was at the Modern at uh, um, on New Year's Eve, uh, you know, about eight years ago, and the pie hole delivery man came by to like deliver a pizza to the the um, the uh, uh, desk guy, and uh, it was Eric Gilbert of. Uh, Finn Riggins, and I'm like, didn't you just play a show tonight? And he's like, yeah, J.O., but, jeez, um, uh, got to pay rent. You know, that guy's work ethic is, like, um, uh, it's, you know, truly admirable to me. I have incredible respect for that guy and uh, what he's done. Um when he and Lisa presented themselves to me when I was at, at the store and like introduced themselves and stuff, I said, I liked them immediately. And I knew that, um, I knew that they would be a game changer for this town. It's like what I was talking about before is the people that were moving here, you know, mm-hmm. people that, uh, took the opportunity, you know, saw an opportunity here. And it, you know, yeah, they have, um, you know, been really great for this town. Allen Ireland has been really great for this town. Um, yeah. it, it's uh, um, a lot of a lot of what is here now is due to the work that Allen Ireland did. Yeah, for sure. You know what I mean? Yeah. Well, so in terms of tree fort history. How many how many years have you guys played El Dopamine? We um, were on the old Fort show in 2014. Uh huh. You know, like the the re- history of Boise Rock reunion. So we played the El Cora Shrine. Yes. And um, we were in with all the reunited bands and stuff like that, which was uh, which was uh, you know it. I don't know. I kept. I asked Eric if we could play, and and he said, "Yeah, this is um, this is what 
this is what I've got for you. You haven't recorded anything new. Um, you aren't really doing anything. So this, uh, I, it was, um, it was the kick in the ass that, uh, I, you know, really needed at that point. I mean, granted there isn't like a, uh, real demand for this music and stuff it's not like uh but i don't know what? it seems like what the kids are doing these days is really going back to a lot of those sounds yeah i don't know we've <laughs> i uh, i like don't the, know the band coming um, from canada called partner or uh there's another one called skating poly and it's just like man this this is straight up 90s music well geez it's what it's. I mean, it's, it's good stuff. People grew up on. Yeah. Oh, okay. We've got this ridiculous um, uh, song that we won't be playing at uh, Tree Fort, but it's uh, called Bubble Grunge, <laughs> and it's like a drop D tuning kind of a thing. That's like uh, a combination of a Helmet song and a Nirvana song, <laughs> and uh, at. Uh, one of our first practices for this, um, Thomas, our guitar player, like said, I want to like pull out uh, my veto uh, on a certain song. Uh, and I said, Bubble Grunge. And he said, yeah, you know, all the parts of that song are, are just fine, uh, but uh, it's not really us. And I said, you know, it... Uh, really is us but i uh i accede to that request our uh <laughs> when we were like working it out we play we practice in our drummer's uh attic basically and uh his uh son was in the other room and his son is like uh, 22 now 21 22 and uh, we we're like working up bubble grunge and stuff like that and he said after we get done, we walk out. He says, wow, what was that song? I really like that song. It's really like, you know, catchy and stuff like that. And, and, I, and uh, we laughed and, you know, and uh, Joe said, um, Joe the drummer, whose kid it was, said, well, that's like the music he listened to when he was a baby. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, so then, how 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 deeply do you dive into the festival as a as a as a fan, as somebody who? Uh, I mean, so it it seems like one of the things that you on the hook for oftentimes is like manning the record exchange a little bit, like in stores and that kind of stuff. Yeah, but we're working it out so that um, not anybody is uh, is uh, is too. Um, it's too wedded to the store yeah that people can get out and experience things because um it's it's important keep uh, the staff excited about music and seeing things and like going out and talking to uh people at the store that come to the store and stuff and i don't know a, a lot of i've discovered i i have a i have a certain philosophy about consuming the festival 
And it's complicated somewhat by like playing shows in the festival because there's a certain amount of preparation time that you have to do to like get ready to play your set. Yes. And last year, I think we did an acoustic thing at um, uh, at uh, the Radio Boise tent. And so we had two shows, like one on uh, one on Friday and one on Sunday. So about the only day that I really relaxed was Saturday and got to got to go around and see things. And I just like to happen upon things. I generally have a objective, you know, I, um, I go through the app and I find, uh, all of my friends bands and favorite those. And I just like try to go between them. And then discover what I, you know, discover something um, along the way uh, that uh, I hadn't even thought of. And uh, my belief in their abilities to, like, uh, curate this festival is that uh, I know that everything is, like, um, is, is going to be at least interesting. And sometimes it's great. I mean... That Porches show a couple of years ago was like, you know, one of the best things I've seen. And uh, I think I, 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 that was like a Wednesday night. Was it the, uh, at the, like the Emerald Club? Is that where that? Mardi Gras. Oh, that's what I mean. Yeah. Yeah. Same difference. Um, it's, uh, you know, I was, I, yeah, that dude is good, Aaron. Well then, so like, uh, what about someone uh, this year that I've never heard of? But, uh, his name is Conan Moccasin. Yeah, I was uh, I was on my uh, list of interests too. I mean, some of this stuff I don't know that I understand. Like, it's like I don't know. Yeah. You know, I'm trying to understand what younger folks are getting into, but I'm always curious and just it's like, what yeah, are, you know, you know, yeah. Well, I've uh, I've never really been interested in my peers thing. You know what I mean? It's just like uh, the music that, um, you know, the music that my peers listened to when I was growing up was like, you know, I was uh, not into one bit. So I've kind of continued that into my adult life. I just like to, um, I just like to bump around and check things out. You know, one of the things I really like about Treefort is the energy that uh, is in the streets of Boise, even in between the shows, people hurrying places and stuff. Um, I don't know. I uh, I mean, I, I will probably be ensconced at Neuralux um, for the uh, duration of Friday because, uh, you know, I want to see the dirt fishermen and I want to see the tree people again and uh now you have two op or two opportunities to check or catch the tree people and i'm i'm noticing on the schedule that let's see it must be saturday night that they tree people play the shredder and i think that's uh -huh. i think calvin johnson is on that same stage earlier in the night and so i keep yeah wondering if there isn't a little bit of a halo bender thing that'll happen that night no, this is it's there's certainly a possibility. Yeah. I mean, but uh, we'll see. It'll be nice to see Cal again. But 
you know, I was going to go over for that. I really, I really like the shredder. <laughs> the shredder is like, uh, you know, on my, uh, um, goal list. I'd need to, I want to play a show at the shredder this year. <laughs> and, uh, but, um, honestly for us, the uh, goal of the rest of the year is not to, um, play a bunch of shows and get around. Uh, we're going to try and record as much as possible and, uh, and try to get a record done by, uh, next year, maybe by, uh, next tree fort. If we get accepted, we'll have actually have a El dopamine album. And, you know, I, it's honestly like a vanity uh, thing to like have an actual record done under your name. And uh, I don't know about the utility of it in this uh, day and age. It's um, we uh, um, sold a fair amount of that EP that we recorded in 2016. But uh, we, uh, I don't know. I think, this is our fourth tree fort, 14, 16, 17, and this year. And uh, I don't know. I keep, I keep thinking that this will be the year that, uh, you know, that they don't find a place for us or anything like that. So, and I, I wouldn't be surprised by that. It'd just be like a, um, you know, it's just the way it is. I mean, we're, we're a middling draw. I understand what... Um, um, you know, I understand our place in the world. <laughs> but, I mean, so, <laughs> because Built to Spill is like the hometown team, you know, it it seems like mm -hmm. that's, I, I Eric, un, you know, the, that knowingness of where all this came from is definitely imbued in this thing. Yeah. You, you know, that... Oh, yeah. That even though... <laughs> When when it's just a bunch of punks at, at the Crazy Horse and there's no Neuralux and it's you know just music every night in the early nineties, you it, it, it yeah we we kind of built this thing a little bit back then by creating a local scene that you know produced built to spill yeah 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 this you know the the tree people were like uh, a real harbinger of that and when Doug came back um it was it was the beginning of things basically i think when uh when the tree people went out into the world and then most of them except for Wayne filtered back um it you know the world outside is crowded and uh you our isolation out here, you know, like being seven, eight hours away from Portland, five hours away from Salt Lake City, uh, makes the bands the way they are. And, you know, um, you know, built to spill is one thing, but, you know, caustic resin shouldn't be underestimated as far as like. Oh, no, uh, you're right. Yeah. Uh, or even Dirt as Fisherman. Far as the, yeah, I mean, so like when I yeah. saw Dirt Fisherman open for Fugazi, it's like, yeah, this is it right here. Or you go to, like, yeah. I went to a festival in Moses Lake 
uh, I think it was called the Indian Summer or something. And I think Tree People Headline yeah. or Black Happy or somebody like that. But, you know, seeing yeah. Dirt Fisherman in that kind of setting where it's like, yeah, yeah, I've seen the Dirt Fisherman a million times, but seeing them in front of, you know, a bunch of people was really something. Yeah, And then CZ Records, yeah. you know, like CZ Records and, I mean, that's... Boise is is there. It was. It's a really yeah. interesting time. Yeah, it's it's pretty funny. Back when I was working in record stores in Eugene, Oregon, in 1987, my systematic record salesman Gary Hankel uh, was raving to me about, you know, dude, dude, the Boise scene is really something. Uh, Silence Records, uh, State of Confusion. State of confusion, silent record. I think something is really happening up there. And I said, you know, I'll take your word for it. <laughs> but uh, they, yeah, I mean, state of confusion got onto uh, um, some subsidiary of relativity. Um, and uh, I mean, that was like just, I think that was like owned and operated by Sony or something like that. Like, you know, grew out of important records, but. Uh, you know, they, that was the band that uh, the Tree People grew out of, you know, um, the Tree People and uh, State of Confusion, I think, uh, were on tour together and they came through Eugene and I missed that show, but I talked to Pat Brown about it later and uh, they played one of the, this club that was in a storage space run by this Rasta guy named Gordon, who was really like... Um, who was really uh, um, suspicious of those guys because so there, they three people played a set and then State of Confusion played a set and Gordon was really suspicious because they just sort of changed instruments and um, and uh, he thought he was being cheated for paying for two bands when he was only getting one. <laughs> yeah, that guy. Yeah, that. That guy was uh, that guy was something else. He like uh, <laughs> he'd have these like heavily uh, um, he'd have these heavily attended uh, punk rock shows in this in the Club Caribe, uh, and then he'd like make a bunch of enemies by kicking all the punkers out and charging them admission to come into his late night like uh, reggae disco. Uh, discotheque and uh, it was uh, but uh, he got set straight on that pretty quickly and especially when the uh, late night thing was like not attended at all and then I think that he got like uh, um, uh, busted for uh, you know ganja use and like hightailed it out of town and then that thing was over but that like, gets back to the whole thing about like the crazy situations you find yourself playing in, like flatbed trucks out in the middle of nowhere, or like uh, the fair. festivals that. Um, yeah, I've never played the fair. I've known i I've, I've known who we are. I've known like you know, I've known better. I've, <laughs> you know, it, it's but have fun, you ever played fun, the fairgrounds? No, no. <laughs> we we played the fairgrounds once. It was like surreal because you open for like a belly dancing troupe, you know that kind of thing. Where it's yeah. it's a variety show. 
that's really cool. <laughs> I think AKA Bell is played out there because uh, um, uh, they uh, seem to uh, um, take every opportunity to play that they possibly can get, you know. And uh, I, I mean, it's probably something. It's probably something we should do, but uh, we're old and um, we like uh, <laughs> we do our own thing. And uh, we have lives, you know, there's books to read and books to write and all that kind of nonsense. Mm -hmm. So, <laughs> you know, I'm not a careerist or anything. Um, I'm kind of an anti-careerist, not a, not, well, not anti-careerist in the, you know, like I, I'm against having a career. I just, you know, don't really, you know, I don't know, but I don't know. At the same time, I have a steadfast belief that uh, El Dopamine is as good a band as there is anywhere. Um, it's, uh, you know, despite the, uh, you know, despite the, uh, you know, the weaknesses in the, uh, the singer and guitar player that fronts it, it's... Um, <laughs> I mean, it's really not false modesty. I just like, uh, I have to do a lot more improving. And um, I don't know, maybe I will. Maybe I'll, uh, maybe this will be the thing that I apply myself to. I don't know, I've been waiting since elementary school to find something to apply myself to. Well, that was 42 Minutes. Thank you so much for sharing it with us. Oh, that's my pleasure. You know, I, you know, uh, for a uh, taciturn, grouchy guy, I do um, like to talk, especially when I get going. I hope some of it made sense, and I hope you don't have to edit too much out of it. <laughs> nope. <laughs> I'll just do this. You've been listening to John O'Neill on 42 Minutes. Be sure to check out El Dopamine at Tree Fort Friday evening at the Neuralux. We'll link to all their stuff. For more information about the Sync Book, our guests to check out past shows or to subscribe to the podcast via iTunes. Please be sure and visit our website at thesyncbook.com. If you like this podcast, check out others as currently all the SyncBook radio archives are free. We also feature a great search engine to help you find what you need. All this and more can be found at thesyncbook.com. Oh, no. I don't have anything. Uh, I usually have a like a one-liner that I go out on, but um, I don't. Thanks so much, and oh. we'll, we'll see you at Tree Fort. That's good enough. <laughs> Ha 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 ha!